0: So even in 1992, when I was graduating in college, you were getting like, you know, five and a half, six percent. They were apologizing that now the interest rate was only going to be five and a half percent. But, you know, obviously today interest rates are fractional. They're half there's fractions of a percent. I mean, you could have many millions of dollars in the bank and you might get a couple thousand dollars a year.
1: Welcome to the Real Estate Secrets Podcast. This show is about sharing lessons in commercial real estate that were learned from trial and error and working directly with CEOs of billion-dollar healthcare organizations. Our mission is to teach the insider strategies used by the big guys to everyday healthcare operators in order to get access to the best real estate at the best prices. Hey, guys, welcome back to Commercial Real Estate Secrets. I'm your host, Austin Hare. Our guest is Brian Cleo He's the director of the DSO Industry Group at Dykemo, DECOMA is a national full-service law firm that specializes in healthcare. Also, they host one of the biggest DSO conferences of the year. I'll be there this year. It's July 13th through 15th in Denver, Colorado. So for anyone listening, it'd be great to see you out there. So Brian, it's a pleasure to have you on the show as a repeat guest, my friend. So let's talk about multiples. Obviously, you're very involved in the M&A market. Uh, What have you seen multiples like, you know, they're going up, right? We know that. But how much have you seen them go up? And, like, what do you think is going to happen as we, you know, we come into this, there's a little bit of inflation, there's interest rate hikes at the Fed, um, there's more conglomeration. I mean, you know, what's your take on, and and what do you already see happening in 2022?
0: Yeah, you know, Austin, I think what we're going to see is, you know, for the groups, uh, you know, right now at present, you know, you can see the groups are, you know, they're, they're approaching, you'll see 14, 15, 16. I saw an 18 multiple, which, you know, reminds me a lot of what went on in 016 and 017. I think that's going to come back down to earth, you know, at some point, 10s, 11s, 12s. I think for the solos, you know, um, they're, you're seeing them trade even at sometimes eight. Now, I think you're going to see that go back down down to fives and sixes, you know, when that happens, I don't know. But I, I, my sense is there's a mini bubble going on, but it's very explosive. And the reason that there's just such explosive uh, is there's pent up demand still from COVID people that postpone their deals that are now getting around <laughs> to doing their deals. There's, um, you know, just an insatiable demand on the buy side and, and somewhat limited inventory on the sell side. There's plenty of sell side inventory, but not enough to satisfy all the buyers. Put it that way, and um, there's a desire by some folks that went through this whole pandemic and just said, you know, I'm over this. I don't want to do this by myself. You know, if this is going to keep hovering around, I want to have a partner. So there's a lot of factors at play that are causing you know the market to really be explosive. I I think it's a mini bubble again. It'll equal. It'll it'll go down a little bit, but it's not like a big bubble that's going to burst and go away. I think it's going to go from crazy money to Really good returns, solid returns.
1: So, yeah, let's parse out multiples in terms of EBITDA because I know it's like the general kind of rule of thumb that we use in the DSO space is number of locations, but that's not always 100% accurate because not, like there's a vast difference in EBITDAs per location based, on, you know, just depending on what type of uh, specific niche you have. So, it's like, do you see, when you mentioned earlier, we're seeing multiples of sole proprietors at eight right now. Um, is there a certain EBITDA threshold like that determines that? So, for instance, you know, if you're doing, let's just say, two, like a million bucks in revenue, two fifty in, in, you know, EBITDA, um, are you going to be like on the lower side or the higher side of those multiples? And then, you know, how do we kind of, how do you see that change as you get into like the number of groups too?
0: Yeah, you know, that's a really good question, Austin, and it's, it's a complicated algorithm. OK, uh, let me uh, you know, I know we have a little time to explain, so I'm going to take up a little bit of our <laughs> yeah. time here because it, it's complicated. Yeah, this isn't like a 30 second show. We got a few a few minutes to talk about stuff. You know, what goes into the valuations? OK, just in general are um, what is your payer mix? The more Medicaid you have, the lower multiple as a general rule, the more Medicaid you have or government programs, I, I, you know, the less rather the higher multiple you have. That's one thing. Um, second, um, how much infrastructure do you have in place? If you've got a mature organization using the latest, greatest uh, uh practice management software, the latest, greatest financial and accounting reporting, the latest, greatest technological stuff, you're using artificial intelligence for case acceptance and things like that, you know, you're going to get a higher multiple. If you've not upgraded in years and you're operating like 1975, you know, you're going to get a lower multiple, you know, on stuff like that. Three, your skills as an operator, you know, you're the seller. You're often going to be asked to stay involved for three to five years after. If you look like an entrepreneur and, you know, they can keep you in place as the CEO of the organization you're going to get a higher multiple if they're going to have to replace the whole management team you're going to get a lower multiple you know your ability to integrate specialties or the the degree that it's already integrated into the office is going to affect the multiple your plan for growth if they look at you and say gee you're four locations but the things you're doing right now your footprint you know your what your um, culture is we could easily see 25 or 30 locations yeah. or you you got one location and they're like, wow, we can replicate this concept to 10 or 20. Yeah, you're going to get a higher multiple versus what I always say is my ski – um the example I've used in the past is my um, my ski practice up there in the mountains of Colorado. They called me. They were killing it. They had a $10 million practice. They had a monopoly on all the ski resorts and they're like, so we're going to get a giant multiple and I said, no, you're not. What do you mean? Because you've got this individual bubble where you're killing it up in the mountains. I appreciate you got a $10 million solo clinic because every resort up in Colorado goes to you, but I can't replicate that. What am I going to do? Find like 10 other skiers? I mean, you've got a really unique circumstance where you're killing it, but I can't look at your $10 million practice and say, oh yeah, I got a footprint to do 20 more of them. I I don't. You you know, so that's the thing. If if they look at you and say, wow, what these guys did right here, they can do 20 more. Yes, absolutely. Versus hey, it's a one-time thing. It's going great for them, but that's just a unique, you know, sort of geography or they're on the campus of ibm or oracle and that's why they're killing it but we don't have 25 other ibm campuses here we can't do it you know something like that that that's also you know going to govern your ability and your culture finally the last thing is your culture is going to govern you know the multiple that you get so you look at all of these things you also look at the individual demand for your office you know this is sort of like gambling um certain buyers are in the market at a certain time. Other times those buyers have located acquisition targets that are in the middle of a deal or they just closed the deal and don't want to do another because they're integrating something. If you hit at the right place at the right time, when everybody, all of the best buyers for your practice are in the market and interested and they start bidding against each other, then that's another factor. You know, finally this is becoming less of a concern, but, um, how you've recovered from COVID. This was a huge issue at the end of 020. It was a big issue the first two quarters of 21. It's becoming much less of an issue. But if you're in New York or California or some of these states that's still doing lockdowns and restrictions and things, you know um, that will play a part as well, how you've recovered from COVID. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so it is a, compl- a complicated formula. It doesn't just come down to a number of locations. It doesn't just come down to your EBITDA, I mean, it's the whole whole picture, quality of earnings. And then- well,
0: Yeah, Austin, sometimes the best thing you can do is close a location, right? Mm-hmm. You show up, and I see this all the time, you know, somebody wants to hire me and we're evaluating their organization, and they're like, we got 10 locations and, you know, eight of them are making mm-hmm. money and two are hemorrhaging cash. So we're going to market. I'm like, no, well, we're going to close these two offices because if we close these two offices, your EBITDA will go up and your organization will be more valuable. So I think in, you know, hypothetically, but I see this often, uh, us going to market with eight locations is going to be more lucrative than going to market with 10 locations. So, you know, the the number of locations really is a secondary consideration to EBITDA and all of these other factors we've been going over.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Hopefully it helps people listening into this who are thinking about doing an exit. Um, So yeah, the other thing that's on everybody's mind right now is inflation, right? Like we've seen the, yeah. they came out with CPI 7.9% highest we've seen in 40 years. You know, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, In your opinion, and I'd like to go into detail on this, you know, we got, Do you think it's transitory? Do you think it's permanent? You know, we've got the Fed talking about rate hikes. We've got supply chain issues. Um, Obviously, you know, interest rates determine how much the cost of borrowing, which determines how much you can pay for practice. So, you know, it's all related. Um, what What are you seeing?
0: My gut and most of the economists and people that study this, you know, really carefully, Tend to think. I of course could be wrong on this. Don't anybody invest anything on what I say. But but my gut is this is more looks like transient. You know, this is not 1974 with OPEC and prices and uh, you know you. I don't even think you were alive then, Austin. I was. Have a, if you went to the bank for anybody listening that's young, the interest rates were like fifteen percent. If that's you had crazy. like a thousand dollars in the bank, you got a hundred and fifty dollars, you know, uh, interest on that a year, you know. And if you had, I mean, think about this: if you somehow had a million dollars in like nineteen seventy-five or nineteen seventy-eight, that would give you like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year of income on just a million dollars. It's hard I mean, for me to even fathom
1: entire- that. I mean, that interest yeah. rate is just so high.
0: I remember I was a senior in college, and Marine Midland Bank, which I think is is H-I- HSBC now Bank or whatever, but uh, they sent me a letter, and I opened it up, and it said, "Due to the market conditions, we are lowering our interest rate from six percent to five and a half percent." So even in 1992, when I was graduating in college, you were getting like you know five and a half six percent. They were apologizing that now the interest rate was only going to be five and a half percent, but you know obviously today interest rates are. Fractional. They're half, there's fractions of a percent. I mean, you could have many millions of dollars in the bank and you might get a couple thousand dollars a year. You're not going to get anything, you know, off of that really. Um, This is not that. Okay. This today is not those conditions in the 1970s that resulted in, you know, 10 or 15 percent interest rates. I do think it's going to come down to working out some of the supply chain issues, working out some of the post-COVID, you know, sort of issues, some of the short term, you know, there's now a war in Ukraine. There's just things that I think are acute. They're not going to be permanent. They got to get worked out. And if some of these things get worked out and, and also f- philosophically, this is not a political show. We're not going to delve into a whole bunch of political issues. But suffice it to say, some of the policies pursued you know, by the Trump administration did result in low inflation. And some of the things that are occurring now with the philosophical changes are triggering higher inflation. So I think, you know, the midterm elections will be real helpful here. I think if if during this midterm election, the Republicans end up taking control of the House or the Senate or both, I think you may very well see some of this um, inflation issues get abated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Fed, they're walking a tightrope right now because you've got mandate They have two mandates, you know, keeping unemployment low and keeping inflation around 2%. Inflation is obviously yes. way higher. The kind of unspoken mandate is to keep the economy going, uh, you know, keep the markets, the stock markets from crashing. And so the problem is as you, when you have really high inflation, you need to kind of increase those rates to slow down the growth a little bit. But also, I mean you know, inflation doesn't necessarily mean a strong economy, right? It just means the prices of things are rising. And so it's like, as they taper those rates, and they keep adding those rate heights, you know, you're risking, you're really a fine line between having a market crash. And so you you can see it, right? Like every time for everybody who follows the markets, every time there's a Fed meeting, I mean, the markets go crazy. It's been crazy volatile. It's either way up or way down based on how what they think Jerome Powell is indicating or hinting at about the rate hikes. And, um, you know, but by in a in one sense of like they have to in order to taper down this inflation, but if they do it too much, then we could we're we're kind of close to going into a recession based on a lot of economists. Like I I think we're in a secular bull market, right? Like a ten year time horizon. I think things are good, but short term I and mean, we could see a lot of volatility, we could see a lot of decline. And so um, you know, the more they the more they hike these rates, then the less people are gonna borrow and so that gives people, you know, in the DSO space who are Who are doing mergers and they're doing acquisitions, you know, they have a little bit less dry powder uh, to use to take down these, you know, these practices. And so I think like, depending on how much they hike rates, we could see the multiples go down. Do you think that's an accurate assumption? Like, are you guys thinking through that? Or do you think that this train is just too powerful to be derailed? (laughs)
0: the train is too pa- both both the train is too powerful to be derailed okay and i'll tell you why dentistry is recession proof okay uh, this th- it survived the financial collapse of the subprime mortgage crisis in 06 07 if you go way back most people remember that if you want to go way back to the dot com crash in the early 2000s it survived that if you want to go even further back to some other things in the 70s it survived that so dentistry is basically recession proof Proven to be pandemic proof. There was a hiccup when everybody got confused and they shut the practices down just for a couple months, but there's been no literature whatsoever of any nature to support any widespread outbreaks of COVID at any dental offices. So the thing is proven to be um, pandemic proof. So it's recession proof, it's pandemic proof. Um, if the interest rates go in such a way that make it undesirable to finance transactions, there's so much cash money on the sidelines. I really don't think it will derail the markets it may like i said the mini bubble it may lower some of the multiples a little bit but if you are a seller and you want to do a transaction sometime in the next five years you're going to be able to do it and you're going to be able to get a solid return whether that return is a nine or a ten instead of a 13 or a 14 you know that very well could Mm -hmm. be the case but it's not like drop down to a two or a three. Oh my God, you can't sell this anymore. Not going to be the case. Dentistry is too strong. So it's both. The train is so powerful. It can't be derailed, but it's not completely immune to like the mini bubble as we've been talking.
1: Yeah, about. it makes sense. I think the takeaway is could mergers and acquisitions be affected by interest rate hikes? The answer is, is yes, but not to a huge degree, right? Not to the degree that would necessarily motivate you to sell today versus optimizing your organization for the next three or four years and selling down the road. I mean, it's it's not going to be significant enough to where you're going to see like a massive cut in prices.
0: That's right. That's, that's exactly okay. right.
1: So, you know, I think you mentioned earlier, you have 500 clients in the DSO
0: space? More than, I think it's like 530 <laughs> something. Okay, yeah. so you
1: get to work with a lot of guys hands on. I'm curious about the commonalities that you see.
0: And remember, I'm on the board of women in DSO. Mm. So every time we... I've got to work with very, very talented women in the DSO industry. And of course, there's some guys. (laughs) Yeah, just a couple. (laughs) Just Um, a couple.
1: So what do you see the commonalities between the best groups? Like, obviously, everybody has like, you know, things they do really well. They have niches. But like, are there any commonalities between the really successful practices or the fastest growing groups that you can talk about?
0: Culture. Yes. I mean, the answer is yes. And the thing that overwhelmingly jumps out at me is culture. Those organizations with the best culture that can attract and retain talent and the patients know that the dentists and the staff love working there and they gravitate towards us. Those organizations with the best culture are doing the best right now in this market. OK,
1: so let's talk about
0: that. Funny thing is I've got Medicaid offices that have great culture and they're doing well. I've got non-Medicaid offices. I've got some that take everything. But the common denominator to me is culture. If you've got that incredible culture, you're doing really, really well in this market. So,
1: yeah, I think that's cool. And I, I think it's a great point to talk about. I think also the word culture gets thrown around as a buzzword. So what do you mean specifically when you talk about culture?
0: I mean, people have bought into what you're doing, okay? Like, couple, that's a good question you asked because, you know, often. Every organization says they have good culture. But the, the tricky thing is I've never once, you know, heard someone. I, I, you know, Steve Bilt from Smile Brands had this great quote one time that everybody's, you know, culture that they espouse, the values that they say, they always sound great. But then you got to look and see what actually happens at the organization. And often the things that some people are saying are not sort of what comes true at the organization. But here's the thing about culture. You've got to have values that fit your mission statement. You know, we're going to deliver high quality, affordable dental care to all the citizens of, you know, Dallas, Texas or something. And, you know, that might be your mission statement. We're going to treat everybody with dignity and respect and make a safe environment. And then you got to make sure you're doing it. So, one, you have to have values that make sense. For what you're doing, you know, um, you know, if you if you had values like, you know, we're going to charge the most amount we can for every dental treatment. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. I mean, that might be your value, but it doesn't. You've got to have values that make sense for your organization. And then you got to implement it and you got to do it. And people have to buy in. Like I've been speaking a lot the last month at um, various DSOs, individual partner meetings where it's just their organization. And I've been blessed. They've asked me to come speak at two or three of them across the country. I've got a couple more coming up and you can tell, I mean, I'll never divulge identities, but you go to one and everybody's dressed to, you know, absolutely dressed glamorous. And one was like an Academy Award. That was what they were doing. Like, show everybody had glamorous outfits on. Everybody, those smiles were genuine. Everybody wanted to be there. Everybody bought into the culture. They were given standing ovations, like, even jokes that weren't funny. <laughs> People were laughing. It was just. You're like, wow, these people have bought into this culture. Then you go to another one and again, we're not going to name names and the fi- the smiles are fake and it just, uh, you know, people are pretending that they like to be there but they're not. Some people are in shorts and a t-shirt, some people are a little more dressed up. It's just all over the place. Nobody has bought into the common idea of what's going on there. And you know, I get up there and I struggle, you know, I come up with some, rem- "Hey, it's good to be here, guys." <laughs> you you know, but I kind of run out of things to say because you can tell. You know they're struggling. You know with their culture. So to me, culture, a couple things is one they've bought into it. Everybody has bought into it. The smiles are genuine. Everybody wants to be there and they're telling all their friends and family about it. New patients are coming uh, to the organization. New employees are showing up because people are saying, I love working here. You know, you should come over here too and get a job. And That's what culture means to me. I mean, I guess uh, that, that's what um, effective mm-hmm. culture, well-run culture means yeah, to me. Yeah,
1: and that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think... I'm thinking of the example of Netflix, which is where they put they had their core values, which you know obviously they were an innovative, disruptive company. So they were doing things differently, and what was happening was people were coming into the organization, and then they didn't like whatever it was, right? Like the the rate of growth, um, the focus on 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 growing the business. I know, I don't I don't really even know, right? But um, they ended up they had their core values, and people would come in like they get hired, and then they see the core values. And they, they, they matched up with the company, but they didn't like it, right? So what they did was they took their core values, they put it in their application process. And then when people were applying, they had to go through, they had to read the core values. And they say, hey, this is what we go by. And it deterred a lot of people. But it also attracted the right people. So it really helped, I don't want to say turn their business around, but it definitely helped their hiring process. And But I think to harp on what you're saying is that they don't, not only had core values, but they followed through to their core values, because there's nothing worse than having core values, something written on the wall that you don't follow at all. But it can be
0: very, very effective if you're true. to Yes, yes. And the scary thing is you don't get to tell people. What you get to do is give it your best shot at your values. Here's our core values, and we're going to implement it, and we gave it our best shot. And then they tell you. Whether you're doing good or not, you don't get to tell them, "Hey, this is great. This is a good deal." They, tell, you know, they tell you. You give it your best shot. You implement your values, and then, uh, you know, the workforce has spoken. They're going to tell you whether you've succeeded yeah. or not.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's good to maybe have them a little bit polarizing too, because. Obviously, like, you know, things like integrity, honor, trust, like, they never go away. They're always in style, but some, sometimes it's a given, right? Like, we should do things like that. And it's like, doing it, how do you frame it in a way, or how do you make it in a way that it, you know, really resonates with people? I think is important.
0: And nothing is more awkward than being in a meeting and listening to a CEO say, We've got the best culture and we've got the best people. And you look out at the audience and, I mean, they're not buying it. Right. Nobody's, nobody's buying any of it. Versus contrast that with one where the CEO's telling jokes that aren't even funny and they're laughing and you know then when he get when he or she gets around to we've got the best culture they jump on their feet and they're clapping and somebody true story Austin blows off one of those bull horns in the back you know I don't know how they snuck it in there but they're blasting off those you know, those, those horns at soccer games or those Vuvuzellers that they had at the world cup. And it's just, it's just a a chaotic, insane scene, but that tells you you're succeeding Mm. with your culture versus. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's
1: this is great stuff. Um, I want to wrap up just talking about the Daikoma event. Um, you know, last year I went and it was great. I mean, I had a ton of fun. It was, it was packed out. Um, what can people like, why would you want to go? What can people expect if they decide to go there?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you asked me that. I mean, the absolute best content on stage. There's no hidden agenda. We're just trying to bring you the very best of the DSO industry from buyers, from sellers to culture, what we're talking about, best practices, technology, artificial intelligence, accounting, lenders. I mean, all the best from the industry is going to be brought there, value added on stage. The networking is off the charts. We can make more introductions at this event. I mean, you saw, you know, some of the rooms last year just packed with people we can make more introductions in one room at Dykema than it might take six months to get all these people you know back together and fun I mean just fun just really really cool fun stuff last year we had Mia Ham, you know we had a firework display we had stuff going on it just it's just fun and it's it's a great networking event it's fun and it's the best content that that's that would be why I think someone I would suggest that someone yeah. might want okay to well I mean, I'll I'll be there. <laughs> so he, yeah, it was a
1: good last year, and um, I think it's going to be good this year too.
0: You looked like you were having fun. Maybe I don't know. I don't mean to put you on the spot. But yeah, you no, like it was it a was a great time. time. It
1: was really cool, and especially you know, it was like after COVID. It was the first time kind of getting together in a long time. Uh, you know, there's a lot of lot of energy there, so I think that is going to carry forward for a long time too. Um, okay, so
0: and we're what's expecting that? people. I'm just. Wrap up. We're expecting fifteen hundred people, and we're expecting a wow. complete sellout. Wow.
1: year. that's great. Okay, so uh, yeah, just in in closing, where can people go to find out more information about uh, Dykema and to find out more information about you?
0: Yeah, dykema, DykemaDSO.com. dso dot com, dot com. You can find all about me and the group and the and the conference, July thirteenth through fifteenth um, at the Gaylord Rocky Mountain Resort in okay. Denver.
1: Um, perfect. Yeah. I'll put that. That I got that in the show notes. And, um, is that how people, if they want to learn more about you, maybe reach out to you about working with you, is that a good resource as well? Or even- yeah, yeah, it is.
0: my, my information perfect. is right, Is there as well. Okay. Yes. Well,
1: Brian, thanks so much for your time. This is awesome. Looking forward to connecting with you in person here in a few months.
0: Austin, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure and a blast to be on your show. I really appreciate Absolutely. the opportunity. If you need help
1: finding the perfect location for your practice or you're ready to invest in commercial real estate, email us podcast at leadersre.com. That's podcast at leadersre, R-E as in realestate.com. Or go to leadersre.com and fill out our form. See you next time.